This is Decoding Learning Differences with Kimberlyn Lavelle, and this episode is Misnamed, Misdiagnosed, Misunderstood with Linda Karenzales. So Linda is reached out and asked to be on the podcast and talk about her book because she's an expert in something that I know almost nothing about, or I knew almost nothing about before reading her book. Um, so she's going to talk to us about NVLD, which is nonverbal learning disorder, also known as nonverbal learning disability. And her book is misnamed, misdiagnosed, misunderstood, and it, it sheds light on what NVLD is and whether or not you might have it. And at the end of the, the interview, she's going to share how you can actually get a copy of, um, of that checklist for free. You can also check out her book, which is going to be out um, very soon, if it's not already. And so Linda is an ADHD and NVLD expert. She's known in the field as the brain lady. And she, she considers herself a special, educational, a special education pioneer. She's a former special education teacher with over 25 years of experience in learning disabilities, ADHD, social-emotional learning, social skills training, behavior management. She has both NVLD and ADHD, and she established the Advantages Learning Center in 1997. It was the first in New Jersey to offer social skills training and brain training for executive functioning and pro cognitive processing skills. And she'll be talking to us today primarily about the book and about NVLD and her own experiences and what led her to write the book. Um, and I'm excited to share with you something new and interesting that we haven't talked about before. So enjoy this interview with Linda Karenzales. Hi, Linda Karenzales. Karenzales. That, that's okay. Everybody does that. Well, thank you so much for being on today. We are very excited to hear from you on a new topic that we have not covered in this podcast at all um, and hear a little bit about your story and your book. So let's start with, you know, in, in the intro, we've talked about kind of your background and the book. Yeah. So what inspired you to write this book? Um, well, you know, I'm 58 years old now. I guess I, I shouldn't tell that, but all right, I'm, it's out of the bag. Um, but when I was growing up, I was in a lot of pain um, in my childhood, my teen years, my early adult years. I mean, I just didn't know what was wrong with me. I was I was in despair. You know, it's an invisible disability. And so I'm comparing myself to everybody else. Like, why can't I do things that they can do that, that are, you know, so painful for me and so hard to do? Because NVLD, um, nonverbal learning disorder, is... You know, it's different from other learning disabilities, and it can be quite impairing, um, and, you know, especially for me then because we didn't know anything about it. So it's 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 a better today because now we have more awareness. So my goal was I don't want anybody to go through what I went through. And if I can save people pain and years of frustration with this book, I, you know, what I learned the hard way, and I guess my message is, is that, you know, I want to validate people. 
that you're not crazy, you're not doing anything wrong, you're not overthinking, you're not imagining things, because I would tell people, and they wouldn't understand because I'm very well-spoken, which is part of NBLD, which we'll get into. Yeah. And you can't tell by talking to me or anybody with NBLD. So yeah. that would be, I want to bring awareness to everyone. I want to bring attention to it. Um, and, you know, my practice as a learning specialist with NVLD is, I think, something unique that I have to offer that I can, because I had to learn how to help myself first before I could help anybody else because nothing was known. So I kind of, you know, that's where I'm coming from. Right. So, so when did you realize that there was something different about yourself? I knew when I was a little girl that something wasn't right in kindergarten. I knew, but I didn't know what it was. Um, I knew that I wanted to talk more than I, I knew how to play with others. So when I was in kindergarten, I remember the kids would be playing and, I, you know, in the kitchen playing house. I didn't know how to do that. That's part of the uh, what I'll explain later. So I would talk to them about how my mom would cook and make things in the kitchen. Well, they didn't want to hear that instead of playing in the kitchen and, you know, role playing. So I knew then that something was wrong. But I, I think I really got it when I was seven, which is you probably read that in the book, the tulip about the tulips. My mother's from Holland and she loves tulips. We had beautiful tulips growing up. And so I thought, this will make her happy. I'm going to pick her the tulips. So I went and I chopped them all off at the tops of the heads. And I gave them to her. She didn't tell me she was mad. She just said, you know, why did you pick them? And I said, because I know you like them. And I thought it'd make you happy, you know. And she said, well, I like them better in the ground, you know. But I guess I'll have to enjoy them this way. So I had given her a bowl with the tulips heads. I handed her the rest. And she put all the tops and bowls around the house. So I'm thinking, okay, we're good. And then the next day I said, I'm going to do the other side of the yard, the front of the yard. And I went and I gave them to her and she started yelling at me. And you know, you're not supposed to do that. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that because with nonverbal learning disorder, we don't pick up nonverbal communication. So although her words did not say, I am angry, do not pick the tulips, um, you know, on her, I'm supposed to read body language, which, you know, you're expected to do, which Research says approximately, you know, there's all different types of research and numbers, but approximately 93% of communication is nonverbal, meaning body language, facial expressions, gestures, tone of voice. So people with NVLD are only getting 7%, and that's the words. So I was going by her words, and her words were, you know, what I had just said. But then I realized I was really ashamed, and I thought, oh, I didn't know that. But again, she was expecting me. When, you know, you cross your arms and you're looking at someone like this and you're saying, I really like them better when they were in the ground, you know, and you're looking at and I just missed the whole thing. And that's when I really knew. But I, of course, I didn't know what it was and my mom didn't know what it was, you know. So that's yeah. kind of what I know. And I had a lot of fear. I was school phobic. I didn't want to go to school because I didn't fit in. I didn't understand what was going on around me because... You know, I wasn't picking it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Oh, well, then I, I, I can I can tell you a little bit more that I was. So then when I was teaching, I kind of realized you said when something was wrong. I realized um, in 1991, boy, I'm really dating myself here. 
1991, nobody knew anything about ADHD. And so I was teaching. It was my first year teaching, and nobody really knew nothing about ADHD. It was just in the classroom. I didn't learn about it in college. And one of the parents of um, the kids that I had, you know, she told me about ADHD because her child had it. And I thought, oh, okay, this explains some of the issues I'm having. And it did explain a lot of the issues because there's a lot of overlap between the two disorders. But it didn't explain why, you know, I was still naive. I was gullible. I was misreading people. People were getting mad at me all the time. And I would ask a lot of questions. And they thought I was trying to be difficult when I was really just trying to understand what they were saying. And so, you know, I would get lost driving in buildings, um, bumping into things, um, very clumsy, um, you know, even unlocking doors sometimes can be difficult. So then it wasn't until I had the rest of the answer until like, you know, my early 30s when I got diagnosed. So... So let us know, because <laughs> I've read part of the book, but, um, and so, which I found fascinating, because before this, I really had not heard much of anything about NVLD. So what is it? So NVLD, first of all, it's really confusing, because um, the name of it is nonverbal learning disorder. So what's the first thing when you heard of it? What did you think it was? Because you didn't know anything about it, right? Yeah, well... I went, I kind of went through it, I guess, mentally as like nonverbal. And then, right. so, yeah, at first I think of people who were nonverbal. Right. And then I went to all the nonverbal communications and that's where the disorder is. So it was, but it, it was, it was like, well, which one, which one are we talking about? Right. So then when I would tell people that I have this, or I would say to parents in my office, I think your child has nonverbal learning disorder. The first thing they say was, what do you mean? my child talks or I would even tell other teachers sometimes that, that I have this and they were like, what? they didn't even know. So that's part of the problem is the name yeah. right there. And that's, um, so that's, I guess like, you know, why there's not much known about it, but I can talk about that later, but it basically is damage to the right hemisphere of the brain where it connects to the left hemisphere. Um, and, uh, brain, there's been a lot of research and we now have newer research, because Columbia University has, has been doing research to get this into the DSM. So we have updated research, which we'll talk about the DSM. But so it's the connection between the right and the left hemisphere. And so it's a right brain weakness of visual spatial thinking and processing. So think about when you we take in information, you know, through our sight and what we hear, our brain has to descramble it and turn it into something meaningful. So it doesn't mean we don't see, you know, some people might think, oh, that means you don't see, but, but it's just problem solving and processing visual information. So that's what the impairment is. So then you can understand that it's, you're not processing body language. You're not processing, you know, a lot of visual as well. Um, solving problems visually. I, I have a whole checklist in the book, which um, you know, I go through everything, um, where it could be, you know, cutting using scissors. Um, like I said, getting lost, driving, um, anything. Some people have troubles with, with, you know, using zippers or buttons, but the thing is there's no one profile because it's like that saying, when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person. 
and that's the same with NVLD. So it's this perceptional reasoning um, and you know verbal comprehension that is part is when it's diagnosed um, through IQ tests, there's a discrepancy between these two scores. So typically your verbal comprehension is much higher because people with NVLD are very verbal, as you can tell with me, and, and can be gifted in verbal. But it's that um, perceptional reasoning, which is that visual part that, that is weak. So there's a discrepancy. It used to be, now everything's changed. I think the discrepancy had to be 15 points or higher of, of this gap. Um, but it's able, are you able to take in information, organize it, interpret it, use it to solve problems? So there's a lot of problems in math. I mean, for math, that was always very, very difficult for me. And ironically, I don't know the reason why, but, you know, there's some people with NVLD that are good at math, but typically, you know, not everybody fits it, but typically math is for most people a problem, you know, so reading charts, reading graphs, I can't read a math. Um, where's your body in space, you know, dancing, um, physical fitness. Um, a lot of people can do things like, you know, riding like a stationary bike, different kinds of exercises, but maybe not group sports. So it's different for everybody. Um, we're, you know, um, interpreting social emotions of other people. You know, taking that language is very literal. So again, I was saying, I was asking a lot of questions. Like I, I had a boy one time that um, he was younger and um, said something about it's raining cats and dogs. Well, he thought that, He's like, he was confused and he was upset. Well, I don't see any cats and dogs, you know, it's like metaphors um, and became upset. And then, you know, really had to explain that because it's very, very literal. Like, did you read the part in the book about my, what my dad said to me? And I took it literal yet. Um, I remember I, I read the story about the cats and dogs. I'm not sure which story you were referring to about. Oh, okay. Um, he said something to me that was very, I was a teenager and I wanted to go out at night. Oh, and, Yeah. Back in the day, you know, the kids went to the 7-Eleven, and that's what they, it's different today. Um, you know, they didn't want me to go out at night, understandably. You know, I was a young teen. And he, I just kept asking, why, why, why? You know, and my dad was always like, what do you use? You make a great detective, because I would always ask these questions. And that's what a lot of people with NVLD do. And um, so in exasperation, my dad was like, look, the bad people come out at night. Meaning, you know, obviously he meant you don't want to go out there. You can get in trouble. You don't know what's going to happen. But I took it literally. And I was like, you know, I was afraid, like, you know, to go to sleep at night. I wasn't sleeping all night to go to school because I thought bad things were going to happen at night because I took it literally because, I, you know, I was young at that time. I, I guess I was in about sixth grade. So a lot of things like that. I have examples in the book. Um, so it's that literal interpretation that, and that visual spatial. Um, and there's a lot of overlap with other disorders uh, as well. So, yeah, I know you've you've talked you talked about that in the book that it was like the ADHD and the autism have a lot of overlap with NVLD, and then things are misdiagnosed. Right, right. So, yeah, NVLD is um, not that much is known about it at all. Uh, the NVLD project, you probably heard of them. They're um, doing a lot of research. Research and they were funding research with Columbia University because they want to get NVLD in the DSM. If people don't know what that is, that's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. 
it's like the Bible of disorders so that you can be identified and get treatment. And it's not in there. And so a lot of professionals don't think MVLD exists or some do. I mean, they're just a lot of disagreements or they think it's, you know, autism on the spectrum. So as yeah, I would say this in the beginning in the summer, or was it May? They took their research and they submitted it to the steering committee of the DSM to get it in there because that way people can be identified and get treatment. Um, and the name is going to be changed because the name is confusing. So it's going to be developmental visual spatial disorder. I myself don't really care for it because now it's, it's before it sounds like, you know, okay, we don't talk now. It's like, well, can we see? But um you know, and it's a little, it's just confusing because they're saying disorder, but NVLD is also known as nonverbal learning disorder or nonverbal learning disability. But then they're using the name disorder in the DSM, not disability. So, yeah. Although they do, they do the same thing with, um, like in the schools, we say specific learning disability, but then right. the DSM, it's specific learning disorder. Right, so, right. Yeah. I don't know. I so guess I DSM guess likes disorders. <laughs> I guess they do. I don't know. So um, that it's so it's it's there's almost three three million people that have NVLD in the United States and Canada, and half of them are misdiagnosed. And virtually all people with NVLD have been misdiagnosed with ADHD. So there's a lot of ADHD people that think they are, that are not, or like myself, have both. Yeah. And so that's why it's very very confusing. It's not in the DSM. Um, and there's all this overlap. So, so the key thing is there's a lot of overlap in, sim in symptoms, the shared symptoms, but they're from different causes of the brain. Because when I told you about the splenium of the brain, um, it's different on scans of people that are on the autistic spectrum that, you know, it's not the same cause. So because people with NVLD have smaller spleniums than those with on the spectrum. So... Um, and people with NVLD has, as we said, have very poor visual spatial skills and people on the spectrum, that's usually a strength. Yeah. 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 And, and in fact, I've never like, until you were talking about it, like, I've never really thought about that connection between nonverbal social cues and visual spatial awareness. Like to me, those were like different things. When you, when I think about it, it makes sense, but it's right. So, I mean, that's one of the things when you're talking about that, the other name with the visual spatial being the quality, the, you know, the distinguishing factor, right. I wouldn't then immediately think that that person has any social difficulty. I would think, sure, they get lost, you know, they right. can't read a map, but there's, but it's not a social thing, but so it, it, it's interesting that connection. It is social emotional, really, absolutely. So I can't tell you how many people I've worked with. I mean, I myself didn't want to live. I mean, because this really impacts your life on day. People can't imagine it, but you're so well-spoken, you know, and I have a, you know, above average verbal IQ. I actually thought that I was intellectually disabled. I did not know what was wrong. It was such, and I did talk about this in the book that I, when I got, I did get, when I went for a diagnosis, it, they didn't know what it was because they didn't know anything about it. This is before I got the right diagnosis. And they would not tell me my IQ scores because she knew this woman that if she told me I'd be devastated, but she also knew that it was incorrect because the testing IQ was really testing. And, and this is for people with all learning disabilities. This is just my feeling. You know, there's a lot of 
varying opinions on IQ tests because we have all different kinds of intelligences. Yeah. But um, that if she told me I would have been devastated, but she also knew that it was an inaccurate. It was testing my disability right. rather than my abilities. And I was at that time I worked really hard in college. I didn't have any accommodations. I didn't. I just knew that it, I thought I was one of those people. Oh, I just have to work really hard. So, but I had learned, I, you know, by that time in college, I had learned how to deal with it without the accommodations, which is kind of a miracle, but not the social part, just the academic and the executive functioning. And um, so I was at that point, you know, graduating with honors. So she knew that it was inaccurate and thank goodness that she didn't give me the score. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So then I did get properly diagnosed later. Yeah. But the emotional can be very, very devastating because you're not, people, you know, don't realize that, you know, it's invisible. And what you're doing is masking just like people on the spectrum. So you're exhausted by the end of the day because you're wearing all these different masks to cover it up, you know, and people are still doing that, that are neurodivergent with neurotypicals. Right. Right. So, so, so what is your approach when you're working with these kids? What is your approach? What do you do? What do you well, do what I had to do is like, I, you know, I kind of say that jokingly, I'm a pioneer and that now I have a Facebook group called NVLD pioneers and that's for parents and adults with NVLD because I felt like a pioneer because I did not know how to help myself and there was nobody to help me. So I, and I refer to people that have NVLD now as pioneers because they're paving the way for the future. And they're the courageous ones, you, you know, that, you know, that I'm encouraging and empowering as well. So I was teaching um, special ed and I, I started noticing that something isn't right here. You know, all the, you know, like when you, that's my dog, I'm sorry. When you have all these learning disabilities, um, I was realizing that some of these kids did not fit it like i had one kid that um i could i could see the social differences where he was taking me literally so i just started keeping notes and i'm like this is a lot like me you know this isn't before i i really didn't know i had it and and then of course kids with you know just learning disabilities executive functioning problems um I could not help them in the school the way I wanted to. You could probably tell I'm very passionate and driven about this. This is why I live my life this way. It's the purpose. And I couldn't help them because the public school doesn't deal with, you know, these social emotional issues, maybe now a little bit more, but, and I couldn't, I wanted to do something more progressive based on science. I really wanted to make a difference. And so I had tenure and I left and I took the risk and then I started teaching them not strategies because strategies you know everybody's using executive functioning today it's not a new term we've known about it for years it's just that people are more aware of it today yeah but basically it's the way you process information that you're not process you know you're unable to process it and it affects your functioning it's kind of like um a police officer who's directing traffic you know and he's kind of like stop here okay you come here you go there you know, and, and that's what the problem is. So strategies are good, but by the time, especially kids get older, they're burned out. They're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Trying harder isn't the answer because it really isn't. Unfortunately, you can try, try, try. Like I told you earlier, if you're, you're paralyzed, you're not going to walk. Right. I mean, you might be able to get to a cane or, but if you're severely paralyzed, so 
I realized these strategies were not going to the root of the problem. So then you'd have kids, and you probably see this in your work, that, you know, now you have a ninth grader that's maybe on a fourth grade reading level. Well, what happened to all those years of instruction? Why did they not catch up? Why are they not catching up? Because school is academic based. We don't go underneath of it. So what you really need to do is what I do is I look at the cognitive processing skills. So if your long-term memory, say you're 12 and it's on the grade level of a seven-year-old, that doesn't mean that you're not intelligent. That means the processing is not working in the way your brain's descrambling it. So of course, it's not an instruction problem. It's not that the teachers aren't instructing correctly. They are. Tutoring isn't the answer because tutoring, you're supposed to just go to tutoring, catch up and get back with the rest of the class. It's not meant to be a lifelong thing to do. Right. So you have to remediate that because if you can't remember, how are you going to learn? If you can't remember, you know, learning is going to be really, really difficult. If you're auditory and, you know, when you have NBLD and, and other learning disabilities, you usually have more than one problem in one area. It's not just one area. So, like, if you're not processing what you're hearing, and NBLDers can have this too, is by the, so it's not a hearing problem, and you probably see this, by the time somebody gets what you're saying in instruction, there's a lag time. So the brain is still processing, well, they said the first thing, and you're trying to understand that, but now you've missed all the information after that. So now you're going to be behind because it's taking you longer to process auditorily. And that also is a reading problem because if you can't discern the sounds – like dyslexia, people think of just pro- primarily like a visual problem. No, if you can't discern I, eh, eh, uh, ah, you're not going to be able to learn to read. So you have to remediate that processing and that lag t- as well. So it's, it's like multifaceted. So now we're getting into reading. I'm sorry, but <laughs> you have to speed it up. And now on top, so say you have a long-term memory problem, an auditory processing problem. Now you have a visual processing problem. Or maybe you just have one of those. And now you have a processing speed problem. You know the kids that just take forever and it takes them really, really long? That's going to impact their learning. So all this stuff stacks up. And so you have to look at the child. You have to identify where are these weak areas. Active working memory, are you able to use it without losing it? That And that's going to affect math. So you have to look at this. And then, you you know, this is a big misnomer. You can remediate. Um, cognitive processing skills, Mm -hmm. but schools don't do that. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, programs out there that you don't want to waste your money on because they're not going to help. And you remember when like chiropractors, you know, they weren't covered, but now they are. So people are starting to realize this is for better than his brain training, but it has to be done the right way. Right. And you have to do it the right way. And you have to know what to do because there's a lot of programs out there that aren't good for brain training. Yeah. And a lot of it has to be done, not just on a computer. You know, as a teacher, it's the emotional relationship that you have with a student that really impacts learning. Like that's the gateway to learning. Right. Forget who said that. Was that Steve Goldman or something? I don't know, something. Uh, But that's also part of it as well. So you can do it. And then what you do is you after you do the intervention, then you can test it again and it gets you can improve it. So now. Your processing is, you're much better off. So now if you go to learn strategies, 
you're going to be able to use them. You're not going to be frustrated. Do you ever see kids that you give them strategies and they're just burned out and they're like, you know, I have to highlight, I have to color code. I, well, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but the yeah. foundation has to be there first. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I feel like the strategies, the strategies need to be like, like what strategy am I using as the teacher to work with this kid? It's not what strategy am I teaching the kid how to use because the, then you wind up with a list of like, yeah, when you are confused about this, do this or um, right. like balanced literacy has a whole bunch of these like strategies of which are all terrible of like <laughs> how to guess a word instead of how to just read the word. But it's like they're all terrible and it and it's just this huge list of strategies of like, look at the picture, look at the first letter, look at and yeah, it's a bunch of strategies that the kids are supposed to learn and instead of learning how to read. And you have to have good executive functioning to apply those strategies. Yeah. As well. You know, and so it becomes frustrating by the time, you know, like I did in high school and other kids get to high school, you know, they don't they're they're giving up. They don't care anymore. Or they're getting in trouble and hanging out with other people that are struggling. Or they're self-medicating how many, you know, with drugs and alcohol, because this is all emotionally devastating. Yeah. I mean, this is Im impacting you socially, emotionally, and mental health issues are arising. And what's really sad about it is the cause of it, a lot of like the mental health stuff, unless you're born clinically with depression in your family, like it's a genetic thing, could be eliminated. Not all of it. Had you gotten the right kind of help? Yeah. You're not feeling inferior. You're not feeling like, oh, a lot of kids say I feel stupid or I can't do with it, you know. Um, and that trying harder myth is just a myth. Right. You know, it's it's so it is devastating. So this also helps mental health. Because think about when you're driving, when you learn how to drive. In the beginning, you're like, all right, I have to, you know, steer this way. I have to put my foot on the pedal. I have to, you know, I have to remember what I learned in the manual. Do this, do that. But eventually your body takes over and you do it automatically. How many times are you driving and you're thinking of what you're going to have for dinner, what you're going to buy at the store, what you're going to do this weekend? You're not even thinking about driving. It is learned. It is automatic. It's just like crocheting in the beginning. But then, you know, somebody's crocheting and they're talking to you or typing. Yeah. Once you use it, you have it. You don't think about it. So now you have these kids and adults who they're happier. I can't tell you how many parents, my, my kid's happier. They're yeah. not stressed out. I can I can keep up with everybody. It, and guess what? They don't have to apply strategy to do it. Yeah, It's just happening automatically. Now, are we going to cure anybody? No. But I have seen significant, significant changes in all aspects of the whole person. Yeah. Kids and adults, you know, applies on the job. You know, you know how you have to sit with a kid to do homework? And, you know, a lot of times... You're not really even help teaching them for some kids. You're just like, you're keeping them on track, you know, especially kids with ADHD. Yeah. But once they do this, I've had kids be able to do their homework independently and eliminate all the homework battles. So it's not just for NBLD. Now, NBLDers have a hard time visualizing. There's, there's a name for that. I don't know what it is, but you know, when you're reading and you can see pictures in your mind. It happens automatically. If you're reading about a farm, you see a farm, but you're, it's happening automatically. Right. And you, um, people with NVD, some of them cannot visualize at all. That's going to affect reading comprehension. Yeah, big time. And they do have poor reading comprehension. 
So, um, when, so I will start out with, so these teaching them, instead of teaching them a strategy, I'll start out with, okay, I want you to visualize, look up to the left because you access your occipital lobe in the brain. Let's just start with an apple, a red apple. Can you see a red apple? And some of them can't. So you try to build them up where they could see. And then I'll say, put a number on the apple. And when they get, okay, is the apple in the kitchen? What's in the kitchen? Right. You know, and um, so you can build up some of that. I mean, you're not going to eliminate it completely, but you can improve it. Right. Yeah. And then that will yeah, transfer to other, to increase reading comprehension in other areas. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very different approach. Yeah, yeah. And then after you do that, tutoring works much better. Right. Because you have, it's like the house, the foundation to the house is there. Right. And then they can learn, ease, you know, easier, faster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they've got the, the tools to yeah, build and the rest even, of the house. They've got the foundation yeah. and all the tools, and now they can keep going. Yeah. And now all those strategies, they're going to they're gonna be much, you know, some of them you can eliminate. They won't need them anymore. Yeah. And uh, especially like kids with visual processing, you know how some, and adults, I keep saying kids, but some people, when they read, they have to like use an index card for each line, but you can improve that as well. That's kind of like vision therapy, which works for some people and some people it doesn't. Right. But um, it's just really training your mind over and over and over and over and over until you make a new pathway. And it can be frustrating. I'm not going to lie. But you make it motivating and you pass different levels. It's kind of like, you know, when you play a video game, it gets harder and harder and harder. Yeah. So you can build in motivational things and, you know. Yeah. So that that's kind of what I do. And then, and, you know, especially for people that, um, you know, because medicine helps ADHD, but it doesn't help for NVLD. So you have a lot of people that are on medication, like I said. But this is another approach that, you know, even it would help people on, with ADHD that are on meds. Right. But for NVLDers, you know, unfortunately, there is no medication to help. And, um, and sometimes it's just learning the hard way, you know. And learning to know when to stop asking questions because it does annoy other people. <laughs> knowing when to just stop or knowing when to use reflective listening. And if you have people that, you know, because even in relationships, this affects, you know, with your partner, your spouse, your friends, um, they could say, well, you don't listen, you know, but they don't really understand because again, you're, it's an invisible problem and you're masking it because you don't want to look foolish. Yeah. You know, so when you're communicating with somebody, if you have somebody that you can trust, and this is for everybody in the world, reflective listening. We all need to be doing that because we're moving at such a fast pace. Everybody's thinking about what they're going to say before the other person finishes. Yeah, that was. And a, I myself a have a hard time with that because I'm ADHD, and a lot of ADHD will tell you that. I literally sometimes feel like I'm going to explode if I don't say anything. It's like a rocket inside of me, and I'm like holding on like this. You know, and it, that's how it feels for some people with that are hyper impulsive. Or by the time you, it's your turn to talk, your mind goes blank and you don't know what you want to say. And then you're like, uh, uh, and then if you're on the job, that's not going to look good, right? Yeah. So, um, 
the Medicaid, what was I saying? What was my the point? Reflective listening. Very the reflective powerful. listening, right. I know that's yeah. a senior moment there. That's just a senior moment. Um, so the reflective listening, if you have somebody that you trust and, you know, like your partner, your friend, whatever, teacher, you know, learn to use that and say, what I hear you saying is this. Yeah. Do I have, you know, did I get that right? And a lot of times you don't get it right. You know, and like, this is a great thing to do in marriages too, because what you think somebody said is not what they said, or you think what the meaning of what, especially being literal, right? Like yeah. it, you, you're going to hold your partner to everything they said. Well, you didn't say that. You told me this. And then you start on the same thing, but asking different questions, which will drive somebody crazy. So I think re reflective listening is, no, I didn't say that. I know that that's what, and then they can break it down for you and say, no, this is what I meant. Because they could mean something totally different for an NVLD or, and you could have a lot of problems in a relationship like that. Even, like I said, even if you're not NVLD, we all need to do reflective listening. Right. I agree. Yeah. So that's a really good tool. And you can do that with younger kids too. Just do it on their level mm -hmm. and start teaching them how to do it at a younger age, you know, and then when you're, you know, that's the beautiful thing about NVLD become more known. Now we can help people much, much earlier. And then they don't have to go through the adults. You know, I don't, you know, they, you know, I wrote the book because for them too. So if you, you could see how I wrote it, I wanted to help parents help their kids and adults. I didn't want anybody to feel left out because the adults like, you know, they're going to feel like, well, everything's for kids. Yeah. Or with ADA, everything's for kids, and it's true. So, but think about all this, the, you know, the support I wanted to give them in the book is the support they should have had, and they yeah. didn't get, and the, that they didn't get. Yeah. So, we definitely want everyone to go out and buy the book, um, which is not, yeah. which I'm not uh, sure when this is going live, but it'll be available soon if it's not yet. It's going to be November 28th. Yes. I, yeah, November 28th. So, I can't remember when we're going to have this go live. It'll be right after or right before. So definitely everyone can go out and buy that. Um, and how else can people get a hold of you and find out? Um, you know, like you can just go to, I have a couple websites, but um, if you want this NVLD Pioneers, just search that in, um, for Facebook Yeah, and it'll come up and you can join. And I'd love to hear if you told me, oh, I heard about it, you know, through the podcast. Um, or you can go to, um, the book website. This is, you know, this is a mouthful, lindacaranzalis.com. If you just Google NVLD and the name of the book, misname, misdiagnosed, mis my name will come up. Yeah. Where, and we'll have know, the link. We'll have the link in the show notes. Yeah. But the, the website is lindacaranzalis.com. So it's Linda and then it's K-A-R-A-N-Z-A-L-I-S.com. And that's where you can get the checklist and the screening for children and adults. So if you think that you have it, then you could take it to a diagnostician and give them a copy of everything that's in the book. And you can say here and it'll give them more information. So you can get that at that website. And then the other website is advantageslearningcenter.com with two Ds, the word advantages with two Ds. And that tells you all about the other stuff, how I can help. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I... I'm excited for everyone to learn about this um, and go through the checklist because it definitely was interesting for me too. It's like, yeah, I've got that, not not that, but this, and yeah. So it's interesting. Well, Dr. Hallowell, he, who reviewed, he said he now thinks from the checklist that he has it. And he's like a nationally known psychiatrist. He wrote a, you know, a bestseller. He endorsed the book. 
But he's like, I think I have this after reading the book. All right. Well, thank you so much. We really enjoyed having you, Linda. Well, thanks for having me. And I hope that if anybody has any questions, you know, you can always contact me, email me or go through the Pioneer Facebook group or whatever, and I can answer questions. Excellent.